Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is David Collison. He serves as the director of the Center of Biblical World of You at the Family Research Council. He researches rights on life, human sexuality, and religious liberty and other related issues. And David, with, with those topics, I, your hand must get really tired because there's, you can never stop writing with all the craziness out there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, great to be on the show again. And you're right. There is a lot uh, that we need to be thinking about as Christians. And there's a lot of issues right now in the public square that have a direct bearing on things that the Bible teaches on. So you're right. Uh, always things that are in the news that we need to be thinking about, but I think even more so now, Christians need to be thinking very carefully about everything, and um, it's a joy to be able to do that with FRC. It is, and I mean, really, we just see the attacks on on the family, on children, right, on life issues, right, attacking the patriarchy, and it, it's just nonstop, and I think, and we were talking about it before we began, right, I think the most frustrating or maybe the more irritating thing is these people who profess to be Christian, who basically have an unchristian view and try to twist scripture to adhere to their, you know, warped way of thinking. No, you're absolutely right. And I got to be honest. Um, the first person that comes to mind when you say that is Senator Raphael Warnock. He's running right now in a very tight um, race down in Georgia. Uh, he's running for re-election. You know, before he was a senator, he was a pastor. He's actually still a pastor uh, of a church in Atlanta. And he, as a candidate now as a as a senator, uh, uses the phrase often that he's a pro-choice pastor. And um, it, it's amazing to me, in my view, that's an oxymoron. Uh, so there's anyone listening to our conversation right now who has heard their pastor say that they're a pro-choice pastor, uh, my advice to you is get out of that church as quickly as you can, because again, I think that that is um, a perversion of, of God's Word, actually. And, you know, Deacon, we can uh, back that up with Scripture if you like and give a couple of examples, but I'll just agree with you. Uh, that, you know, the Bible affirms the person of the unborn from cover to cover, and then when you actually have folks who stand in the pulpit, which is meant to be a place where God's Word is heralded and preached, and they say the exact opposite of what it teaches, oh my, um, Judgment Day, uh, as you said before we came on the program, is not going to look kindly on uh, those folks. It is, and I and I would encourage people, you know, although although it is stomach-turning, to look into that debate between Warnock and uh, Herschel Walker, because there there was that one line where he's talking about being, you know, pro-choice and all and all the things that you know are okay about killing a baby. And Herschel Walker basically says to him, "You should be the one baptizing him, not killing him." And I thought that yeah, was they, yeah. about as spot on as you could get. Well, now as a Baptist, I would have a you know I would want to talk to Herschel Walker a little bit more about his <laughs> theology on baptism there. But I you know obviously I agree with you as a pastor. My goodness, your role to care for your flock and to care for the most vulnerable, um, it, absolutely. Rather than being rather than advocating uh, for the killing of babies, um, my goodness, if there's anyone in this country who should be standing up for the rights of the unborn, it's it's pastors, it's, it's men who have been called by God. 
uh, to shepherd congregations and churches and to look out for their communities. And so uh, it's it's a, a morally inverted universe we live in when you have men who profess to uh, be pastors and yet advocate for the things that the Bible explicitly condemns. Well, and you have, you know, so-called Catholic politicians, whether it's Biden, whether it's Pelosi, and, and you know, I could go on and on and on, who claim to be faithful, yet continue to do the same thing that Warnock does, right? They twist, they mm. twist words, and they make, you know, make it sound like they're trying to be compassionate when it's exactly the opposite, right? They're, they're, they're perpetuating and they're proclaiming murder as, you know, the standard light of, of our country. And it just makes you scratch your head and think, I, I don't know where you were catechized or what you were thinking, but you, you have gone to the dark side. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, to, to live, to live in hell, that's, that's for eternity. You don't get a second chance to get out of there. Yeah, and if I may, Deacon, you know, I could imagine some people listening to us who, yeah, you know, one of the things I do here at FRC is we measure the worldview of Americans, and one of the things we discovered is, and we were using George Barna, who's very rigorous in his methodology, um, he found out that evangelical churches, although 81% of those who attend think they have a biblical worldview, it's actually only 21% when you measure their actual theological beliefs and their lifestyles. So I actually don't want to take it for granted that people actually you know, even Christians, uh, Protestants, Catholics, actually understand that the Bible indeed teaches the person of the unborn, uh, but it does. I think most Christians have heard, you know, Psalm 139, where the Bible says, you know, talking about the unborn, it says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, but that's not the only verse. One, one verse, I did a, a TV interview mm-hmm. last night, and the verse I talked about there was Jeremiah 1, uh, verses 4 through 5, uh, Jeremiah, he actually um, uh, says that the word of the Lord came to him, and I have my Bible open in, uh, in front of me right now. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You see what's happening in that text right there is Jeremiah is hearing from God that before you were even born, while you were in your mother's womb, I appointed you. I consecrated you. I knew who you were. I had plans for your life. And then in the, the New Testament, Deacon, one other chapter, one place I always like to take people, I think it's the most profound pro-life passages of, in the Bible, is that interaction in Luke 1, starting in verse 39, uh, where Mary and Elizabeth have that conversation. You know, uh, Mary mm-hmm. finds out from the angels she's going to be pregnant, or she is pregnant, uh, goes to Elizabeth, and as soon as she walks in the door, Elizabeth, her remark, and we know she's filled with the Holy Spirit, what does she say? She says, you know, something to the effect, why is the mother of my Lord visiting me? You know, what a, what a joy. Well, she's calling Mary a mother, and she's referring to Jesus as my Lord, rightly. And, incredibly, John the Baptist, in her own womb, leaps for joy. Well, we know John's purpose in life was to be the herald of the Messiah, and he's already fulfilling the purpose that God has given him while he's still in utero. And so, again, I just think there's a lot of places we can take folks, uh, kind of in our own Christian tribe, in the Bible to make sure that, you know, this isn't just us reading off some talking points or being stooges for a political party. No, this is actually the teaching of God's Word, and Christians need to know that. Well, and if you believe that God is the author of life, then there's no rational way to think God, the author of life, created this child, and 
I get to decide whether it lives or dies. I can kill it because God made a mistake. I know what's better for me. I mean, imagine anybody who supports this way of thinking, sitting down at the table with Jesus in the other chair and trying to convince him that you're right and he's wrong. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, whenever I read the, uh, when I read the Bible and people actually, you know, have an encounter with God, I think of Isaiah, and, you know, he shows up and he sees God in his holiness and purity, and he falls over and says, you know, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the idea of us, you know, trying to impose our sense of right and wrong, especially on something that's so clear, and to tell God we know better, my goodness, that is um, the height of arrogance, but we do live and an arrogant culture that thinks we know better than God. And I think um, in the dialogue and the conversations around this particular issue, um, you, you see that coming out, uh, unfortunately. Well, and, you know, you look at, you know, think, you know, you talk about looking at things from a biblical worldview. I mean, it, you know, I think it's an, it's an argument to make that we basically live in a pagan society at this point, right? You can't mention Jesus at school, right? We want to kill children because it makes it easier for us, uh, gender identity, uh, the attack on the family, the attack on fathers. Um, it just, it's, it's nonstop. And you're right. You, and I think, you know, and that's why I recommend, you know, people go on to your website, right? Family Research Council and look up that the paper you did, Biblical Principles for Pro-Life Engagement, because it does, it does help root people in scripture and remind them that they have the truth on their side, right? That all this other stuff that's going on is nothing but lies and it's a shell game. And when we have Christ on our side, we don't have anything to be afraid of, do we? No, we really don't. And I appreciate you mentioning the booklet. People can find it directly at frc.org forward slash worldview. And on that page, you can download it, the the whole PDF for free. And it just looks at what God's Word says, and it also looks what the history of the Church has said on this. Because you're right, we don't have anything to fear if we're on God's side. And, you know, that's all we need is being on God's side. But we're not just on God's side. We need to realize as believers, because I think a lot of people, you know, hear what the media says, oh, you Christians have only cared about the life issue since 1973, and you care about it because it's a way to gin up votes at election time. Well, actually, for 2,000 years, um, the, the Church has affirmed this understanding of the Bible's teaching of life. Um, and, you know, even significant disagreements in the Church, I think, you know, things like the Protestant Revo- um, Reformation or, the um, uh, you know, whatever. Yep. Uh, but every major branch of the Church, Orthodox, Catholic, uh, Protestant, any denomination that still has some respect or some belief in the authority of God's Word um, has not changed their position. The only churches that have changed their position on the life issue is a couple of theologically liberal Protestant churches that threw out the authority of the Bible 100 years ago under the influence of German higher criticism. And so they've been long gone uh, for <laughs> over a century. And so why in the world would we listen to them anyway? Well, and there's there's uh, St. Jerome's has a quote that says, Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And, you know, to not read Scripture in its totality, it's like the people who say, you know, I don't like the Old Testament because it's boring or God is mean. And so I, I am, I'm a, like a New Testament Christian. 
But the reminder is we can't understand the new without the old. And if we read certain passages and try to twist them without reading what's before it or what's after it, right, we're doing not only ourselves a disservice, but then we're doing the people that were spewing this stuff a disservice, aren't we? Oh, well, we are. And, and to what you just said, that is a common argument that I've heard. You know, we got to think about uh, what Jesus himself understood. And Jesus himself understood that the Old Testament, that was his Bible. Uh, Jesus' Bible was the Old Testament, and uh, he affirmed the enduring authority. Sure, Jesus fulfilled um, the Old Testament and a lot of the, the ceremonial laws and stuff like that we don't observe because they were fulfilled in Christ. But as far as the authority of Scripture, my goodness, I, you mentioned the sexuality stuff a second ago. You know, whenever Jesus was, or Paul as well, was asked about divorce or things like that, rather than just kind of, you know, give an answer um, on his own authority, he would go to Genesis 1, he'd go to Genesis 2 and ground his answer in uh, Scripture. Um, and so, yes, as, as Christians, we need to understand that the Old and New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that is our authority and we can never give that up. Well, and I, and I, I, again, I would really encourage people to go back to that booklet that you have, the, the principles for pro-life engagement, because you go to early church fathers, whether it's Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, right? St. John Chrysostom, St. Thomas Aquinas. I mean, this isn't something, as you mentioned before, you know, we just decided to make up because it was convenient in 1973 because of Roe versus Wade. No, you're right. And that is such an important point. You know, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Fame, and you, or the Hall of Faith. And, you know, you, you read that, uh, that passage in Scripture, and, you know, you get this idea that, you know, we stand on the shoulders of, you know, generations of Christians who have gone before us. And how encouraging that is, is that we don't have to make things up or, or figure things out all by ourselves. We have the tradition of the church, and we have all those who have gone before us. And you're right, some of the most well-known figures in church history that are just revered today, um, you know, they spoke clearly to these issues. And what's amazing to me, when you go back and read their writings, many of them, you know, at the time, they just saw themselves as faithful pastors of local congregations, and they were dealing with the issue as it came up in their church. And they wanted to make sure that just fo regular folks in their church understood what God's perspective on the dignity of the human person was. And they were absolutely right, and their interpretation of Scripture and I think, um, again, as I try to prove as best I can in that booklet, if you're pro-life, you're standing on the side of the Bible and you're standing on the side of the church. Well, to have God on your side, truth, right? God is truth on our side. We have science on our side. We have medicine on our side. We really have everything on our side. The only thing we don't have is, unfortunately for some, is courage because we let bullies influence mm -hmm. us and take us away from the truth because it's easier. And speaking of bullying, right, what are we seeing nonstop, right? Pro-life leaders being arrested by our federal government. Right? We've weaponized the Department of Justice. When people can go and firebomb uh, pregnancy resource centers, spray paint churches, right, defame buildings and people who are trying to perfect, pr protect life. And our government's going after the people trying to defend life. Like, what, a, what an oxymoron. Well, it's, you know, elections have consequences is the old adage, and my goodness, um, you know, when you look at the Department of Justice, they, you remember we saw that letter where they called parents attending school board meetings as, as domestic terrorists, you know, the, the parents that care 
about what's being taught to their children. That's a concern. And yet these actual terrorists who are firebombing uh, pregnancy resource centers and uh, the Wisconsin Family Policy Council and, and in uh, doing graffiti on churches, uh, you know, that's just, I think, as the White House press secretary said, well, that's just, you know, an expression of free speech or something like that. You know, <laughs> it's a lud- it's ludicrous. And so I think that's why even in these midterm elections, um, you know, I, I spoke to a big group of, of Hispanic leaders on Friday. One of the things I encouraged them with, and they were in Virginia, uh, was that, you know, often in, in elections, you know, we're choosing between two candidates or we're looking at different ballot measures. But in many of these situations, we're looking at two worldviews on the ballot. And uh, again, I'm not going to tell folks exactly who to vote for. Uh, I want to just educate folks. But let's realize that in many of these situations, there are two worldviews, two understandings of what the good, the true, and the beautiful is. And uh, again, um, we, you know, our nation made a decision in the last presidential election. We have a new Justice Department, Merrick Garland, and I think the the proof is in the pudding, so to speak, on where their priorities are. Well, and you know, how close was he when Obama was president to being a Supreme Court justice? But it just goes to show when you when when your fruit doesn't bear when your tree doesn't bear good fruit, no matter where you are, you're going to cause havoc. And unfortunately. He has done such. And, you know, speaking of the Supreme Court, right, we have, you know, the Dobbs decision comes out. We have the leak, although, you know, it's funny, we've never found out who leaked it. Uh, but we have Justice Holmes still being attacked, right? They're still being out there harassing families and being in neighborhoods, which is a crime in and of itself. And as you mentioned before, our our uh, president and his administration just thinks that's that's what free speech looks like. Yeah, and just imagine if the shoe was on the other foot and, you know, Sonia Sotomayor or Elena Kagan or Stephen Breyer, imagine that, you know, you know, the right was really upset with them about a decision and was protesting outside their house and making noise. Can you just imagine uh, the reaction of the mainstream legacy media? Um, it would just, you know, it would be a night and day difference. But, you know, we're not surprised. We know um, that the institutions of power, um, you know, the media and whatnot, are, are are wholeheartedly on board with the, with the the direction the left is taking, um, which is why they hate the church so much. Many of them, not all of them, uh, but you know, the church is the one institution that many on the left realize is still in their way on many of these issues. Which is why, to the point of courage, you just mentioned. My goodness, um, we need to know what the, I think that knowledge, we need to know what God's word says and then put it into action. And courage breeds courage. Well, and I think, you know, the reminder is, you know, Christ tells us, right, you, you are sheep sent among wolves, right? We're, he, he warns us, look, if you're going to go out and share me, which, oh, by the way, you need to do, then it is not going to be easy. You are going to fight extreme opposition but he's like, hey, don't be don't be afraid when you get arrested. I'll give you the words you need to say, but you need to go out there. Right. And, and you know, I know in, in the Catholic vernacular, right, we consider ourselves the church militant. Hopefully we become the church triumphant in heaven one day. And that thought process is, look, you need to go out and proclaim the good news, proclaim Jesus Christ and not worry about what the opposition says or does, because. He's already warned us they're out there and they're going to oppose it. So don't be afraid. Just go do it. Yeah, great, great point. I think, you know, as far as 
Christian eschatology goes. Um, one thing I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of different perspectives on the end times and what the book of Revelation is teaching. Uh, but one thing that we can all agree on is that the Bible clearly teaches Jesus is coming back. And so, you know, in seminary, I learned the phrase inaugurated eschatology, the already not yet. And in one sense, you know, Jesus is already one, and we're living in the time between the times, so to speak, between his first and second coming. And we need to be faithful while we wait for him, but ultimately we will be victorious. And and that is uh, encouraging for those of us who follow Christ. Well, and and we're required to because, you know, you mentioned Psalm 139. Also, Psalm 139 reminds us no matter where we go, Christ is there, right? No matter where we go, God knows exactly what we're thinking and what we're doing, right? Even the dark is as light as the day. So we we are obligated to do it, and we have no excuse not to do it. And I think with what you're doing and what's going on, you know, it helps encourage people. But they have to have this inner fortitude and courage to know that, one, they have to do it. But two, we're going to be answering for how we defended or didn't defend the most vulnerable in our in our world, and all the truths. And that's, I think, one of the main points that I make when I'm talking to folks about why we should be involved politically, because sure, um, the first great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we're going to be called to account for how do we love our neighbor, and you know, there's many ways we can love our neighbor, um, but can you really holistically say that you've loved your neighbor if you have not engaged in this area of politics, which, whether we like it or not now, affects so many of our basic rights and our liberties and our freedoms. And so I think, I think in the cultural mandate uh, that we find in Scripture and in this understanding that we need to love our neighbor, man, that gives us, I think, all the warrant we need uh, to engage on these issues. Um, and I think that is part of what it means um, to be faithful in the Christian walk. Well, and elections, as you mentioned before, have consequences. We need to participate. We need to vote for the truth. But I think one thing we need to remind ourselves, look, elections in and of themselves are not going to solve the problems that we live with today. It may slow them down. It's people turning to Christ and living according to Scripture, because we can vote for whoever we want to vote for. And there, look, there's knucklehead Republicans out there, too. Hmm. But we need to remind ourselves that it's how we live our lives, how we raise our kids, that's what's really going to change things. Although we do need to participate in politics and we do need to vote for truth, but we need to look to ourselves if we really want to see a significant change in our world. Oh, and that, that's so well said, Deacon. I think yeah, absolutely. You know, I care about these issues and the and politics and elections and campaigns, uh, but ultimately, what's most important is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That word "gospel" in Greek it just means good news. The good news of the Christian faith is that sinful people. Uh, just like me, uh, can be uh, reconciled to a holy God through faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, that message, that message of hope, that ultimately is uh, what America needs, uh, but it's not just what America needs out there, it's what every individual person needs. Now that gospel has implications, uh, like all the things you and I have been talking about, um, but I think the the point you make uh, about keeping the main thing the main thing uh, is absolutely imperative. Well, and it's and I think people need to realize, look, this is happening all over the world. You know, I just read, I think it was this morning that, you know, the people in, in the UK are now being arrested for being pro-life. Uh, and, and, you know, so I don't know what their reasoning is there. I know for here, if you happen to block the entrance of a, an abortion clinic, that falls under the FACE Act and, you, and the Justice Department comes after you. So it's happening all over. 
And, you know, it was, it was a breath of fresh air when we get, you know, the new, I, don't, I think, I don't know if they call themselves prime minister or president, the, the woman in Italy, who basically just spoke the truth and, you know, shocked people. And we think, why can't our politicians speak like she was speaking? Oh, that's exactly right. And if anyone is not familiar with that story, um, I would just Google um, the new Italian prime minister. And she's given some speeches where she's just been abundantly clear um, about the challenges facing Western culture, Western civilization, uh, what she sees as affecting um, just the way of life that they've known in Italy. And the, you know, she, she just, and it was almost jarring to hear some of the things she said, you know, uh, just, but there's basic as far as, you know, to give up on the idea that God makes men and women, boys and girls, that there's not 57 genders, things like that. You know, we, we've almost become uh, too shy to even say basic things like that. And to hear that from a, the, a new elected leader, it was encouraging. Like I said earlier, you know, courage breeds courage. And I think um, our culture is looking for that. And I think, uh, Hopefully that can be a model for folks in her country, but as well as those of us here who want to stand for truth and, and realize, again, like you said earlier in the program, if we have God on our side, we have the church on our side, we can definitely have that courage to stand for these values. Well, and we are seeing some of that, right? All you have to do is look on social media and see parents at school board meetings who are just fed up, right? I mean, they want to protect their kids. The bottom line is we all want to do that. We all need to do that. So it is happening, and, and, I, and it's moving slowly, but we are moving in a direction of defending our families, defending truth, which is defending Christ. And it, it really is important that, you know, we're down to a little, about a minute or so to go. Um, really appreciate all the work you're doing, but how can people follow what you're doing, David, and how can they get more involved? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just really appreciate Deacon. And if you, um, anyone listening is interested in these issues, specifically how to think about politics, religious liberty, sexuality, marriage, abortion, through the lens of kind of a biblical worldview, uh, that's what we're doing in the Center for Biblical Worldview. You can find all our resources at frc.org forward slash worldview um, booklets. They're just free, downloadable PDFs. If you want to buy them, it's like a buck or I think two bucks to, to get a physical copy um, but that's a way to do it. And you can also sign up for our, our monthly email, frc.org forward slash worldview email, all one word, uh, frc.org forward slash worldview email. And that's the way anyone can get uh, kind of in the loop on the things we're doing to try to help folks think more faithfully about all the things that are going on uh, kind of in our morally crazy times that we find ourselves in. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.